everybody. Before we begin, some of you may know I started a new creative agency in Atlanta with Shaquille O'Neal. It's called Majority. The response to our announcement this past week was unexpected and deeply moving and dizzying. And uh, I was joking with my partners, Asmir and Jorge. It felt like a mix of everything you love and nothing you don't about a wedding, a birthday, and a funeral all rolled into one. Just the tonnage of well wishes and encouragement from friends and complete strangers was just, it was humbling and it was something that we don't take lightly. So I just wanted to start by saying thank you. Thank you to everybody who reached out. Uh, we were just unbelievably touched by so many of your responses. And it, what it really did was it strengthened our resolve uh, to live up to the mission of our company, which is to ignite more diverse perspectives into iconic brand ideas like the ones we celebrate on every single episode of this podcast. And hopefully to do our small part to help accelerate long overdue change in our industry. We know it won't always be perfect. We know we're not always going to get it right. What we, won't, what we don't want to do is let perfection be the enemy of progress. And so what we formally launched last week is obviously far from a finished product. But it's a start and we're really proud of it. So thank you. And I just wanted to speak from the heart and, uh, and show some love to some of the folks who have shown love to us. Okay, on to the show. Hey, welcome to the Talking to Ourselves podcast. I'm Omid Farhang, founder of Majority. My guest today, Ryan Reynolds and George Dewey, co-founders of Maximum Effort, the subversive agency racking up viral hits, infiltrating pop culture, and forcing traditional agencies everywhere to question how they do their shit. Ryan is, of course, best known for co-writing, producing, and starring in the Deadpool franchise. He's also the owner of Mint Mobile and Aviation Gin, which was acquired last year by Diageo for over a half a billion dollars. His partner, George Dewey, spent 16 years at McCann, working up the ranks from intern to ECD. After stints at SpaceX, 20th Century Fox, and Annapurna Pictures, George joined Ryan in 2018 as president of Maximum Effort. Some of the agency's greatest hits include the ad campaign for Deadpool 2 that defied every convention of entertainment marketing, the long-standing Ryan Reynolds vs. Hugh Jackman feud to cross-promote Aviation Gin and Jackman's Laughing Man Coffee, reprising the infamous Peloton actress to star in an aviation promo, and of course, Match Made in Hell, an ad for Match.com set to Taylor Swift's love story depicting the whirlwind romance of the devil and the female personification of 2020. This is Ryan Reynolds and George Dewey and I talking to ourselves. And congrats on the Shack Agency, Omid. That's amazing. Thank you, man. That's uh, it's been wow, yeah. It's been about uh, six months in the works, and um, I mean, my thought was just, you know, I saw what you guys were doing, and then I was like, man, if we could get a celebrity with some like real primetime good looks and talent, I mean, just think about where we could take this thing. <laughs> He's the best. I met, I met. I actually met him for the first time in Atlanta. He's probably meeting with you uh, seven or eight months ago. Really sweet guy. Well, listen, Great. I was thinking now that the, the Hugh Jackman feud seems to be winding down, if you guys ever want to get into a nice agency feud that's both vicious and mutually beneficial, you just let us know. Done and done. Great. We love it. Sounds great. Yeah, we love a good feud. I'll just start by telling you that um, confiding that, that this is the first episode where I've actually had two guests on at the same time. That's an art form unto itself. I'm just relieved to get these reps with you guys before we get to kind of get tested with some serious heavy hitters. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> we'll stretch you yes. out. Don't worry. I, I promise I won't go through your whole chronology starting in your mother's wombs. I'll just ask one childhood question that I know George will have an answer to. I'm not sure about Ryan. Uh, I look back for me as a kid, it was, it was all about Nike commercials. Like sometimes they were funny, sometimes they were emotional, but they occupied the same space in my brain as my favorite shows and my favorite movies. As a kid, was there a brand or a campaign that inspired you or just like informed your comedic taste or just got its hooks into you to set you on this path? Boy, that's a great question. From a, an advertising standpoint, um, <laughs> I'd have to say uh, Bartles and James was one of the ones that stood out to me initially just because wow. it was... So cool. Also, this is terrible, but 
you know, my uh, parents um, were kind of lax. Uh, so when I asked uh, for Bartles and James wine coolers at the age of 15, um, they asked whether it had wine in it. And I said, no. And so after a couple of weeks of drinking wine coolers and me acting a little loopy at dinner, they were like, wait a second. Um, so I have a special affinity for Bartles and James. And I thought they were, they were so well-written too, and so dry. It was actually like a, almost a predecessor to the uh, Cranberry Bog campaign where you have two kind of awkward people standing next to each other saying funny things, or even like the Sonic campaign now. Ryan, any advertising influence that you remember from your childhood? You know, I used to love like kind of the lower production value commercial, the better. I mean, you know, I, I, grew, I grew up in Canada, Vancouver, British Columbia specifically. And there's, you know, we, we're, we're, we're subjected to a tremendous amount of regional ads, which I just used to love. There was like a, a, a guy who was like a, who, who had like a, a thrift store called The Captain. And he used to do these things. I swear to God, they were like, it was like shot on like, I, I don't even know what, like a, a 1918 Bolex or something. It was just like the worst production value you could ever imagine. So my friends and I, we would love to do impressions of this stuff, you know, right. That, that kind of the regional stuff, right to, through to like the stuff that was more international, like Mentos and stuff. I used to love those ads because they were just, it was such an interesting and smart tactic to get people talking about a product is to you know intentionally or unintentionally lower the quality of the spots so much so that like they cannot be ignored um so i would love that and you know we were always we were a bunch of goofballs performing all the time so we were always doing impressions of these we were always doing our own reenactments of these spots uh which was a lot of fun like your choice is way cooler than ours i don't know about that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, I, what was going on in those Mentos ads didn't occur to me until I was about 30 years old and I worked on my first big global client um, and realized what it took to create a 30-second spot that worked in London and Paris and Australia and Russia. And all of a sudden it's like, well, the the human insights can be a little bit different from country to country and you obviously can't have any dialogue. And so that's where you end up with these sort of very strange sketches where like, you know, two men are parallel parking a car by lifting them up. But uh, yeah. the math finally added up for me once I, I worked on a big global. The, the guy, the guy that's on his way to the big job interview and he's, and he sits down on a bench and there's paint on the bench. And then, and then he like, it basically gives his back, the back of his suit a pinstripe. So he finishes the pinstripe by rolling around on this bench, this wet paint bench. And, and it clearly Mentos, the fresh maker gave him this idea to, of course, do this. I, you know, I, I mean, it's just oh re- preposterous, but awesome. Yeah. Just give me two minutes of the origin story. What was the original master plan behind Maximum Effort back in 2018? And how closely does the 2021 version resemble what you thought it would be at the beginning? <laughs> it resembles it at all. It's a, we started no. as a production company. I mean, we started as a sort of, a, you know, I mean, George and I started working with each other on Deadpool, um, you know, and and this is something we've discussed before, but, it, you know, necessity is the mother of invention is just a great kind of uh, creative path to take. I mean, in Deadpool, I would say that if, if you could hang your hat on one aspect of its success was that necessity was the mother of invention. I mean, the, the, the studio constantly took money away from us as opposed to giving, giving putting money into the project. Like you're, you're used to them saying we're adding, you ask for more money for the budget and they add a certain amount and you know, you're happy and you try to work within the confines of that. But with, in our, in our unique situation, they were just taking money away constantly. So you know, we were always having to replace spectacle, which costs a lot of money with character. And in, in that created very, very valuable lessons mm-hmm. because we found that we got, you know, the, the project got better and better the more we did that. And then we extended that same idea to the marketing where we were really avoiding paid ads and we're working on earned media in, in, in a much greater capacity to acquaint the audience with the character without having to use our assets from the movie. You know, you don't want to give away the move, the whole big chunks of the movie. You just, you want to show them that you got the goods, but then really hook the audience in with the character. And, and, and that was something that George and I were working closely on with each other every, every single day. Um, and eventually that led to our, coming together to form a production company and that those same sort of rules apply for everything we were doing as a production company, which quickly moved into a marketing company. 
when I acquired Aviation Gin, and that sort of sent us on this whole other path, and that those same rules have applied for sort of unilaterally, um, and and it served us pretty damn well. I mean, George may have a different origin story, but that's 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 mine, and I'm sticking to it. No, I mean, uh, you know, uh, we didn't have this planned uh, when we started in 2018. You know, uh, um, you know, I sent Ryan a an email on his birthday, and he kind of responded coyly uh, with like, uh, you know, I, hey, I have this idea. And it was to, and he wound up that he asked me to run the production company. And then I was like, well, you know, I've not done this before. And he goes, well, that's exactly why I want to have, I, I want to kind of zag where most of, for most people would kind of do the normal thing. And that's been the joy of this for me. And we, we follow fun more than anything else. You know, it's, it's not just, we had the plan to launch a production company and launch a marketing company and, you know, buy Mint Mobile. It was more like, hey, what, what sounds fun to the two of us? Let's, let's go do that. Yeah. Well, and when it came together, Ryan is still looking at his acting career as his primary career. You're at Annapurna. Did it feel like a big leap of faith from you, who was a guy who had worked at, you know, some of the biggest companies in the world? You went from McCann and all of a sudden you're, at 20th Century Fox and Annapurna, like how much of a how much of a leap of faith was it for you to all of a sudden enter startup life? Um, it was very big. I've only ever really worked at kind of bigger companies, um, but I will say that there was big company exhaustion um, uh, on my part. And you know, if it weren't Ryan, I probably wouldn't have done it. You know, I, um, but you know, I got to know Ryan really well between kind of 2015, 2018. And um, the entertainment industry is a an interesting place. And Ryan is one of the really, really great people in it, not just the entertainment industry in life. Um, and it was more being um, uh, uh, trusting that, um, you know, this was going to be fun and not, you know, pushing a, a boulder uphill, which is, what so much of working at a big place seems to be. The the cliche is that screen actors for about a century have looked down on advertising before Maximum <laughs> Effort, before Deadpool. Ryan, did you fit the cliche of an actor who found advertising to be sort of unseemly? Feel free to hurt George and I's feelings in your response. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I know I always appreciated the craft and creativity of it, but I, I, I did find the marketing and and PR angle of my job to feel rote and obligatory. And then it, it really wasn't until that first experience with George on Deadpool 1 where I was working with a guy, you know, who I, I, I found inspiring. I mean, George was coming at me with ideas that I wanted to execute creatively and I could share with him uh, thoughts I had about, you know, this character and what we could do because anything was possible with this character. So it was like, it was sort of the ultimate, um, you know, ultimate in, in, in embracing mischief, you know? So I, I suddenly saw the marketing angle that, that I'm committed to doing as wildly satisfying and fun and, and creative and, and didn't, you know, I was able to rewrite that story in my, in my mind, and my soul. Um, because what I, what I, what I was used to was having zero authorship of anything, you know, until Deadpool, Deadpool's the first time I really wrote on a film. I really, you know, I produced properly produced it and made sure that the ship came to port, you know, both on budget and creatively and all those sorts of things. And, and, uh, you know, it really opened up my mind to a whole new world. Whereas, you know, before that it was about junkets. It was about executing what I thought were pretty, you know, generally pretty brutal, you know, marketing pieces that you would shoot to make a movie seem fun or interesting or engaging. And, and, you know, they rarely were, you know, they were just sort of silly. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was, it really opened my mind to so much. And, and, and I continue to have my mind kind of blown in this, in this industry because there, it is about storytelling and it, it doesn't have to be rote or obligatory in any way. So. We'll come back to, to the, the context of Deadpool uh, versus what entertainment marketing has, has been for a century. I will tell you, as you bring up junkets, I was very sensitive as I was preparing this conversation about not asking you guys the exact same questions that you have to answer over and over again. And then I was like, well, it's fine. This is what yeah. Ryan, the actor does for a living is to ask, answer the same questions <laughs> over 
and over. Yeah, again. but you're not asking the same question. You know, you, what you find in junkets is that they're flying these people from all over the world to come sit down, and yet they don't. You know, they, there's very little attention paid to a- asking questions that aren't just you know, like if your character is Deadpool in the movie or whatever, Billy, let's say in this movie, they'll oftentimes sit down and go, "So, Billy." <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, well, what's the question, though? I mean, come on, you, you you sat on a plane for 12 hours, like not one question, just, you know, what was it like to work with Betty White? Well, I great. But like, what else we got here, you know, which was a dream, by the way, um, <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah, it was it, it's the junket aspect. Is, it's always I love a junket when it's engaging and when we're having a conversation and we're really talking, getting into some stuff. And it's sort of both ways. Junkets are also inherently one way, which is terrible for both parties, I think. Right. Um, unless you're like a solipsistic, you know, nut job who just, you know, thinks the entire universe revolves around you, then I suppose junkets are wonderful. But <laughs> I, I asked Ryan if he was the cliche of the, the actor who looked down on advertising. George, sort of an opposite question for you. You're aware how many agency creatives secretly wish they were screenwriters or authors or something other. Uh, when you went to 20th Century Fox and Annapurna after you know 16 years at McCann, what part of you, if any, was more motivated to feel like something more or different than a traditional ad guy? Um. I guess I had never felt like a traditional ad guy in my heart. Um, you know, one of the turning points for me was actually going to business school uh, when I was uh, at McCann. I went to NYU Stern. And, um, you know, I think uh, the culture of ad agencies and the culture of creative departments, at least when I was there, um, is really interesting. It's such focus on craft, which is wonderful. But there's almost, um, or at least, I, this actually is a structure of how agencies are structured more than anything, or a result of how agencies are structured more than anything else, which is account management does, you know, the the business stuff, and creative department does the creative stuff. And after going to business school, I found like a, a, a great curiosity around. Wait, that's really interesting. You know, um, you know what my classmates are doing. I actually have a lot of curiosity around that. And so, um, you know, my um, kind of motto has always been is like, you know, if you've stopped learning, then it's time to move on. Um, And it, you know, why I left McCann was, well, you know, I look around and in 2011, when I left, there were all these wonderful new creative tools to work with, right? And not, you know, the, I was senior enough where I didn't get to do digital hands-on, um, but also I really liked learning new industries. So it was really daunting walking into the entertainment industry because it's a very insular industry. Um, but I felt like um, it would be more daunting to stay. Yeah. So I'm going to come back to Ryan mentioned entertainment marketing. I mean, you could sort of argue that of all the forms of marketing over the past century, entertainment marketing has experienced the least amount of innovation or novelty. Um, And as he said, you know, the promotional materials for shows and film generally just feel very formulaic and myopic. The stigma around it is well earned. And then suddenly the marketing for Deadpool and Deadpool 2 come along and we're seeing Ryan's character show up in all these unexpected places and just rejecting any premise, a pretense of character sacredness and defying every kind of established convention of how to promote a film. How crazy or risky did that feel at the time? And, and to what extent did the powers that be, you know, try to kind of grab you by the scruff of your neck and throw you out of the room for attempting it? I don't. I mean, I, I, you know, one thing that I, I think people overlook is that Deadpool also came along at the right time. You know, it wasn't just this mastermind and perfect sort of execution of this blah blah blah. It, it was really was timing too. I mean, people were ready for something a little bit different. You know, um, I think you know, at like any genre, you know, superhero movies are a genre unto themselves, and they they ebb and they flow, and they reach these kinds of peaks and then come back down again, and then reach you know, Imperial Heights again sometime, some someday as well. Uh, so it was like, we just kind of had this, this thing. I was trying to get Deadpool made for 10 years. And, you know, like you said, rolling the rock up the hill and it always, you know, coming back down and crushing me. Finally, it gets, uh, you know, green lighted through, you know, 
nothing short of terrorist tactics. Uh, and, you know, we get to make this movie, but it was just really well-timed. So we got to play in, in sandboxes that we would never otherwise get to play with. And, you know, again, it was that the, there wasn't, there was only the movie. We didn't want to give, there were so many Easter eggs in this movie. There was such a groundswell of interest from comic book fans. I wouldn't necessarily say your average moviegoer was, was super interested at that point yet. Uh, but comic book fans really, I would say are, are the authors of this, of its success because they helped get it made. They, they spoke up on the internet and Fox listened when the, the test footage leaked onto the internet. Um, they got in there and really kind of manifested its, its reality. So it, 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 it happened. And then, then we really got to play with some of that culture uh, and introduce this movie to your average everyday movie goer who doesn't know anything about Deadpool. Uh, we got to do that without using the materials from the movie, which to me were, was at that time, very, very important. I wanted to, to release as few materials as possible uh, and save the surprises for the movie theater in that opening weekend when, you know, Twitter is really kind of reached, finally had reached full strength and, you know, in terms of word of mouth and that kind of stuff, we really wanted to, to use and hijack some of that for uh, the opening of the movie. And so that's where we just got into this, like, you know, earned media blitz as opposed to a paid media blitz and just started playing around. I mean, I had the suit. I left set with it on the last day. I walked home, I walked to my car in the suit, got out of it back home and like I kept it. So we were, we could just shoot. I shot stuff all over the place. George and I were writing stuff. Other, we had other folks that were working with us at, at Fox who were great and really understood the character and jumped in. And so it got pretty exciting. And, and that's the part that I'll always be most proud of is that we didn't have to give away the whole farm in order to introduce people to the character they had a, a sense going in yeah and i'll say just there wasn't a lot of there was some trepidation around the first look but after that it was all over and that's because of ryan's passion you know uh, you know in many ways hollywood studios traditionally have been built to around the movie star and when you have the movie star saying this is what we want to do um and then it's as soon as it started working, we were off to the race. So I mean, a lot of that has to do with Ryan's commitment. As you talk about taking 10 years to get Deadpool 2 made, and, and I remember Oliver Stone saying it took him 15 years to sell Platoon, very standard for a film to you know have this several year gauntlet um, to work through. I would just think coming into this side of the, of the creative business and creating things at such speed has to be sort of therapeutic. Like you guys come yeah. up with something and then you're you're on set or in your home or have a camera pointed at you making it five days later. Is there is there some part of that that just that just like feels like a vacation from your from your primary vocation? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, we can't we have to be kind of upfront and say that you know that that we don't pretend that that's the norm. You know, a lot of people wish they could probably you know turn a commercial over in 36 hours right. for something that 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 really touches on the cultural zeitgeist in some way. But but also we're in this obscenely fortunate position where I own Aviation Junior Mint Mobile, and I can you know I don't have to ask permission. You get to just go do it. You know, it's it's I'm sure there's a lot of creatives that are like, oh, I would love to be able to do that, but I gotta go through all these checks and balances which sometimes can take weeks to approve budgets and all sorts of stuff like that. When we're able to, we're very fortunate to, to be able to shoot down and dirty. And, you know, we call it fast fastvertising, which I really, I, I, I think speed is, has been a huge asset to maximum effort as a company and as a culture. And uh, it's something that we all, none of us take for granted at the company. We love doing it in that way. And, you know, hopefully we can, the, the few times where we feel like we've sort of missed uh, opportunities are because we were working on stuff that had nothing to do with me or companies I own. It was just, you know, I had to go through a right. large set of checks and balances and, and it was a great idea. And it, uh, Oh, I've had a couple where I just, I still, they keep me awake at night where someone else did it first, you know, and, and they did it first because we were just too slow, you know, and that, and that was because we didn't, we, we weren't able to, uh, you know, be the masters of our own, of our own, uh, fate, you know, that's, that's, that was yeah, tough. George is in LA, Ryan, you're in New York. I don't know about now, but at least in the early days of the company, it sounds like the kind of sanctified creative process was reduced to you two texting each other until you were both sufficiently tickled enough to make the thing that was making you guys laugh over text message. Is that an overly reductive description of, of how it went? And and how does the creative process look maybe today? Really <laughs> similar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were doing it yesterday. Uh, yep. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, how it works. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's 
it, it's it's really driven by joy more than anything else. Like, what do we want to do here? And um, you know, having Ryan hasn't had the experience working at a big agency, but having had the experience working at a big agency, there are days where it can just feel like a slog, and you don't know why you're doing it. And so, I. I we're really, really careful about trying to build an environment where everyone can feel creatively fulfilled, right? And and like the the sky's the limit because that's that's how we view it, and that's how everyone who works either you know, everyone who works with us should feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, George, you just I know you're keenly aware of it, and Ryan kind of just pointed out that he's keenly aware of it too. That you know, for most of us, goddamn it, it's supposed to be way more complicated than this. And as I look at that more closely, it's it's not that it needs to be more complicated, but it's oftentimes because big agencies are in the business of selling complexity because complexity means more meetings and more time and time is ultimately what agencies are billing. In the context of the marketing industry that you guys are actively disrupting, how do you think about the value of your ideas? Well, we're never gonna pitch. Uh, that's for sure. We will like one-off pitch people, and and I here I think the 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 symbiotic um, existence of production and marketing really serve each other very well. Which is when you think like a produ- production companies in Hollywood, uh, they self-generate or find uh, IP, uh, and then they try to put the package together and uh, sell it to the marketplace, right? That is the mindset that we want at Maximum Effort Marketing, which is, hey, instead of like going, like what accounts are up for review, instead of like looking at our assignment list, like what would be amazing to do? (laughs) What is a really fun idea? And let's go pitch that to Coke or let's go pitch that to Pepsi or let's go pitch that. And like we will cold call anyone. That's where Ryan is particularly useful. (laughs) <laughs> um, and, and it's not, it's not just like, it, it'll be like, Hey, we got an idea. And, um, and so, uh, idea first, and then, um, you know, we're trying to set the expectation that we're, we're not the most expensive agency in the world, but you, you don't get it for free. Yeah. Yeah. And it could be, it could be, you know, it can drive you fucking crazy too, because you, you know, you'll, you'll have an idea and a company, and I understand the comp. You know, the company isn't gonna. They didn't get to be this juggernaut through impulsiveness. You know, so you'll have <laughs> an idea where you're like, "Oh, this is this is the thing," and you'll just sort of see them go, "Okay, well, you know, we'll uh, we'll start. We'll get back to you. You know, in a, in the next few weeks, and we'll figure out what our you know quarterly spend is. It you know, all the sort of stuff that you know is can be really tough, you know, and then, and then, and then once in a while you find like, you know, we had that, this idea for match.com where, you know, Satan is dating a falls in love with a woman named 2020 and, you know, and match pretty, you know, for a huge company like that, pretty damn quickly was on board and, and, and we were off to the race. So yeah, it happens. Well, at least, okay. I was just going to say, as far as I'm aware too, as you bring up match, it's, it, it, that has to mark the agency's biggest win or biggest hit that didn't star Ryan. I just wonder like how conscious was the choice to let that piece stand on its own without Ryan playing the devil or making a cameo in it. Yeah. I, I what's that? We've done that. And Peloton was another you know, Peloton aviation spot. I had nothing to do with other than, you know, George and I writing it together and, and editing it together. But, um, uh, and calling Monica Ruiz, who's so wonderful, the actress five or six times to, to assure her that this wouldn't, you know, end the same way the Peloton ad ended, mm-hmm. um, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it, you know, the, I love the spots that we can do or the, the 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 projects we can work on where I don't end up on camera. Those are always the most rewarding. Ironically, our I think two of our biggest hits are I don't have anything to do with on camera not even doing a voiceover. It's just a totally unique idea and works. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately like we're not, we're going to scale without Ryan. I mean, obviously not without Ryan's creativity or or with Ryan's creativity, but like Ryan can't be in everything. And and that's how we're going to scale. Man, I I don't want to move on from the Peloton thing just yet. I just think about this actress going viral for all the reasons an actress wishes not to go viral. And she's just bombarded Mm. by all this negativity and embarrassment. And she thinks she's probably thinking her career is over. 
And then when shit can't get any more surreal, all of a sudden she's got, you know, fucking Deadpool calling her directly on her cell phone. <laughs> like, can you just give us a little glimpse into one of those first phone, those first phone calls? Yeah. I mean, look, I, we, you know, if you've worked in this business long enough, you know what it's like to be kind of mortified by something happening out there involving you. Uh, you know, you, you have something, out, you know, it might be to a large degree or a small degree, but, but we all understand that feeling of, you know, being a passenger on a ride that is creatively driven by somebody else and them, you know, you give them the keys to your heart and they total it, you know, and, and that can hurt, you know? So I, I really, when I talked to Monica Ruiz for the first time, I, I appeal to her on that level, which I understand this feeling of like, you know, and it also is, I also assured her it is much louder to you than it is to the average person who's aware of this spot or whatever. But, you know, the pellet, the, the aviation version of this Peloton ad was really a, a means to author your own sort of, you know, your own ticket in this, in this situation to have some authorship over uh, the conversation. And, you know, and I promised her that in one of the edicts this is a slightly tangential, but one of the edicts of our company is bringing people together, you know, it's never really preying on divisiveness, um, you know, which is everywhere right now and, and, and kind of low hanging fruit. We really wanted this spot to have absolutely nothing to do with the Peloton ad, but having everything to do with the Peloton <laughs> ad. So we don't mention it. We don't, we don't talk about any of that stuff. We, you know, we, it's just, it's just Monica Rua is out for a, a couple of drinks with her two friends at a bar after having a pretty rough day and every we let the audience fill in the blanks you know you let the audience do all of that work for you because the audience is smart and they can do all that stuff where you. you don't need to spell any anything out so um but but the the actual calls with monica i think there were about five to be honest because she was really going through it and i felt for her man and i was so happy for her you know, happy for us as well that the ad worked really well, but also really happy for her because, you know, we had that spot out within 72 hours of the Peloton, you know, fury. Um, we had the thing shot, I think within 36 hours, I remember hitting uh, the button on social media to post it as my flight was taking off for Brazil. Com I was on my way to Brazil Comic-Con uh, to do some promotion stuff. So I didn't really get to experience it or know that it even worked until I landed. Yeah, so it was really wild. Yeah, it was shot, yeah. yeah, yeah. We shot, edited, and released all that day, that Friday. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I mean, you guys talk about this ethos of being nimble and being fast and not being. I think the other one is just not being overly precious. It's one of the great kind of contradictions that you know. There's this artist mentality that like don't release things until they're perfect. And I mean, George, you know it from the the traditional advertising world, like sure. craft and. You know, and like it's stay up all weekend. We must, you know, it's just it's not quite mm -hmm. perfect. And um, and there's this kind of unvarnished joy and charm to so much of what you guys put out. I just, you know, you talk about scaling the company, George. You made mention of that. I wonder, like, how do you guys think about? Um, well, first of all, how do you know when something is done? It's usually we've run out of time. Is the <laughs> yeah. Could right. be honest answer. You don't. Well, you also there's that that great expression, which is that you never finish a film, you abandon it, and that is true. That's the same for anything. Right. I think creative, or yeah, you leave it. Yeah. So I mean, it's yeah. so you know, it's so funny. Is that you know, as an ad ad guy going into digital marketing, I was like, all right, now I'm going to understand data, and I'm going to understand uh, DMPs and engagement, and I spent. Five years, like un literally to, you know, first party, second party, you know, PII, everything. And then, you know, my great lesson has been, well, you know, a lot of this is feel too. And um, I think, um, you know, we have two or three pieces of content that we've shot over the last six months that we're just waiting. We're just like, eh, it doesn't feel like the right time. Right. Um, and so I think it's like, well, does this feel like the right time to put it out? We don't again, like most of what, what we do is earned. So we don't chase um, media flights too often. And I mean, it sounds like the you two texting each other ideas part of this company is never going to go away. And that's part of just the joy that it was founded upon. But you've talked about scaling the company and growing the company. As you scale it, how do you kind of bottle that that nimbleness and joy and kind of, you know, unvarnished kind of meta personality that has found, found its way into all of your work. Do you guys talk about as you scale, like how to not lose that thing that seems to make this unlike any other offering? 
You know, I don't know what. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know what George's answer is. We'll find out. But I, I, I think it's. I, I always sort of feel like you know, in order to be really great at something, you have to be willing to suck at it too. And and that goes with the that speaks volumes to me about the creative process with anything is is you know, bad ideas lead to good ideas. You know, good ideas can certainly get worse. But, but you know, I, I really do find that, like, I, you know, I came from improv comedy and where you where you never say no. I mean, that's like really the first kind of rule of improv comedy is just don't say no. Um, and that has kind of weirdly affected almost all aspect of all aspects of my life since then. You know, I, I, I love I might be one of the few guys who when I produce a movie, I, I love getting notes. I want to hear. I, even if they're terrible notes, I want to hear what I want to hear what you're feeling. And and sometimes there's a note behind the note, or sometimes there's just some something that 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 they're having trouble articulating. You know, so I just feel like lose not having being super precious and manicured about everything is important, and it's something that I think our company as a culture sort of has imbued in it in its DNA, which is that like, hey, no one's you know pitch pitch whatever you're thinking about. We want to hear. You know, we love telling stories. We don't we don't want to be walking in trying to pitch, you know, major companies ideas and thoughts that we have, we sort of like to stay, keep those in house, like George was mentioning earlier. And then, you know, we have a great idea, like who's the right fit for this great idea, which is a, a sort of, a, I think, a, I don't know any, you guys have forgotten more about the agency model than I will ever know. But I, that, that process and working that way really, really suits me just fine, uh, creatively and spiritually. So you're describing. Um, you know what you're describing is you're describing the the creative process of Dudley Moore in the movie Crazy People. Wow, I was not, not expecting not to go dissimilar. there. Yeah, yeah, it really isn't it's not dissimilar. dissimilar. Yeah, George. One time I was as an intern, I was working at Crispin Porter, and I was in between meetings. I was with Alex Bogusky. I had nothing to say to him. Ryan, this is like the one of the icons of our industry in the past twenty years. I didn't know what to say. I was nervous, and he just leaned in, apropos of nothing, and said. Hey, you ever see the movie Crazy People with Dudley Moore? And I said, Yeah, it's actually like a really important movie from my childhood. And he goes, You know, one of the secret to advertising is just make ideas as close to that movie as possible. <laughs> wow, that's great. Yes, that great advice. I have referenced yeah. Crazy People on more than one occasion for how we work. Yeah. Um, as you grow the company, what what do you guys look for in talent, and and what role does diversity play in your talent strategy? It's I mean, go ahead, Ryan. I mean, it's everything. I mean, I it's huge. I mean, it's a, it's a huge part of you know, being proponents of of diversity, working with you know uh, those you know people who have been systemically excluded from the party for so long. I mean, they're 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 lofty pursuits for sure, but they're also selfish. And as much as it makes for better industry, I mean, you know, we we have a, a program that we launched this last year called the Group Effort Initiative, where um, we're we're reaching out to to uh, those in the BIPOC community um, who you know I was practically my entire adult life has been spent on movie sets where I look around and everybody looks sort of the same and um, you know one of the one of the reasons that we launched that program was certainly to diversify the industry and and in in create access and opportunity for those who have not been not had that opportunity yet but also to make the business better I mean it makes for better movies it makes for you know, a better creative process. I mean, when you, when the, what you have, you know, behind the scenes and on the screen are re reflective of the streets, it's, you know, it's, it, it's a win for everybody, you know? And, and I think the only, the only drag of it is sometimes you have to convince people of that, which is a, an odd position to yeah. be in, but, you know, they usually sort of see it pretty clearly once you lay it out. So it's also like, it's, I completely agree. It's also, there's no way to cover the vastness of the cultural landscape by hiring people who look like you, right? Like everybody has different interests. Everybody has different perspectives. Everybody has um, um, different social media platforms or different brands that they love. And if you're just hiring people who all like the same, like seven things, you know, it, it's actually incredibly, it's, it becomes like, a, a it hurts your, ability to do uh, great creative work. And that, I mean, this is not the same thing as inclusion, but it's a small thing, which is like the aha moment I had when, when I went to business school was like, oh shoot, there's a whole other way of thinking about something. And it's enriched my life 10, 10x because I opened my mind up in a way, because I was frankly forced to by going to business school, but um, it was an instructive moment for sure. As you guys talk about growing the company, I'm actually surprised to hear the way that you 
talk about client strategy, I think the assumption from from the outside world is that you know the clients that you'll associate with will be connected. To, I mean, obviously with with aviation and Mint, Ryan is the owner. With Match, if I if I have it right, he's a member of the board. And the thought is, well, maybe this this works best when when Ryan and senior leadership have a vested interest in the brands you work with. But it actually sounds like you guys are are open to more traditional agency client relationships where, hey, like, you know, you guys pay us a fee, we create something that's culturally impactful. And if if it works the first time, we'll try it a second time. 100%. Yeah. I mean, we, we again, it's um, it, when you think of things like a production company, it's like we, we look at all the brands in the world, frankly, as intellectual property. And if we can layer interesting stories onto that intellectual property, instead of trying to create our own, uh, all the better. And if it works for them and if it works for us, great. Um, so again, it's like whatever sounds like the most fun story to tell is what we'll pursue. Um, we're just, we'll likely never be, you know, the AOR for, you know, a huge company where that represents 60% of our revenue. And, you know, if they get angry, if they sneeze, the whole agency, you know, convulses in fear that that'll never be us, but um, we, we love brands and we love storytelling. So why not? Brian, I want to ask you about, I want to ask you about creative fulfillment versus entrepreneurial fulfillment. I think sort of like historically any famous actor who participated in advertising to any degree, the common wisdom was, you, you know, you keep your priorities straight. You're an actor first. And then if there's time, you can sort of fill your bucket and generate secondary income, however makes you happy, as long as you're you're not tarnishing your mystique. And if you do tarnish your mystique, do it overseas where American audiences won't see it. Mm. Um, after Diageo acquires aviation for not a small amount of money, have you stopped thinking about yourself as an actor first? Oh, um, I, 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 that's a good question. I, I, Think of myself as a. I think of myself as a creator. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, you know, fully delineate between those industries. I, you know, and I think maybe that's why I've, I've kept my head above water with it all. I, I don't really draw that line in the sand. I think I used to. I think, you know, pre two thousand sixteen. I think I, I, I used to think, oh yeah, you know, actors should be act. Actors should, you know should, should do this or should do that. But like, fuck should I, you know, I don't, the, the rule books thrown out the window and, and when it went out the window, it was very much on fire. So I, you know, I, I don't, I don't really, I don't really know, you know, I know actors that have, uh, you know, a real mystery about them and they're, you know, they disappear into roles and I have enormous reverence and respect for what it is that they do. And that's the path that they're on. That's not necessarily my path. Um, I love culture. I love the zeitgeist. I love playing with all of that. I love being in that sandbox. Um, I love creating through maximum effort marketing. I love, uh, creating through the companies that I'm lucky enough to own. And, um, you know, and again, like a lot of people are, you know, maximum effort isn't, you know, it's, 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 it's hard. To, we're, we're fortunate because we're not in a typical position. You know, I realize how, gamed the system is when our a client is aviation gin and mint mobile and i realized that like we're able to create you know wonderful you know commercials and spots within 36 hours because there's no red tape i realize how obscenely fortunate we are for that but uh but in terms of like thinking of i don't i don't never really thought of myself as any of that stuff i mean i don't i i've always been so kind of uh since i was a kid you know, working in this business, I, I moved to Los Angeles in, to be, to join an improv comedy troupe called the groundlings. Um, I didn't, you know, ever expect to get my highest goal was to be the wacky neighbor on a sitcom, you know? So, uh, my, my expectations, you know, were, were pretty low in terms of Hollywood by Hollywood standards, I, I guess. And also my sort of success rate has been an aggregate as opposed to anything meteoric, which is going to totally pervert and fuck your brain up forever. You know, I feel for these teen pop sensations of these young actors who become, you know, overnight kind of that meteoric fame that you read about, because that's just, that is not healthy. Um, you know, I got into the bathtub one toe at a time and it really like allowed me to sort of keep my head screwed on in, 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 in a lot of ways. Um, you know, uh, so, so I, I don't really, yeah, I don't, I'm, I know there's a very convoluted way of answering your question, but I don't, yeah, I don't really have a, 
a great answer for you other than I've never really thought of myself as, you know, anything other than kind of just lucky to play in these weird spaces and, and I get to continue to do it. So. George, I I heard that George is maximum effort an agency or do you have any allergic reaction to the word agency when you do I don't like that. I don't, I don't like the term agency for sure. So, I mean, like, um, ad agency, I feel like to 2021 is what a webisode is, was to the year 2009. It's like, Oh, that's cute. You run an ad agency and, um, we don't really have a term for it. Yeah, it's quibby, right? Um, we call ourselves a marketing form, but internally we call ourselves the marketeers, which is just super corny, and I know it'll never catch on. But it like <laughs> at least at least captures the joy of what we're trying to do, like you know. And, and it's not ad agency almost always defaults to paid uh, in a lot of people's minds, and um, and and it also um, doesn't really recognize the importance of the production company plays in um, what we're doing. Ryan made mention to red tape. I'm just sort of thinking like all commercial art forms have a component of compromise, but I think we always kind of think about movies and TVs as among the least compromised of all the art forms and advertising as among the most compromised art forms. Ryan, has your life turned into an episode of Black Mirror where the advertising career has less tape, red tape than the acting career? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's for sure. I mean, I wouldn't, I, 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 you know, I wouldn't say as much on the movies that George and I are producing. Um, you know, those are joys. I mean, I, we just wrapped the Adam project for Netflix, which we worked with, you know, longtime collaborators on and finished four days ahead of schedule and, 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 and under budget. And, you know, I, th- those are joys, those kinds of things. But um, yeah, the ad world for us, and again, I don't pretend to be so naive to suggest that it is the same for us as it is for other companies that are in the space, because we, we've been really lucky to work on on, on jobs or for companies that I own, but uh, as well as other companies that have said yes, you know, that's we've been lucky to not get stuck in that in that red tape too much. So, um, but yeah, I would say that there's more red tape in a film. There's also bigger investments, you know. I mean, a lot everything that we do is is incredibly um prudent in terms of cost and time you know we don't spend money unless we have to it's all kind of originates from deadpool which is again we didn't have the money so we had to replace spectacle with character and and you know we had to make one dollar feel like 10 you know and 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 that that has served us better than almost any other edict across the board uh, could ever serve us i mean it's just it's just been delightful because we everything is down and dirty and and um you know and fundamentally has a lack of red tape it's been great but having said all of that there's probably going to be a maximum effort super bowl commercial in the next super bowl <laughs> i don't know we've, we've flirted so many times spot. yeah and, it's, uh, a, it's but, expensive yeah it's, it's also you know it's done it's kind of like uh why we haven't made a horror movie yet. Horror is being done so well right now, it's hard to like stand out. That's how we think about the Super Bowls. Like if you're gonna play, man, you better know you're gonna win. Yeah, big time. I end every episode with the last three questions. Before I do, Ryan, if I was doing, uh, if I was a reporter drawing a press junket and I asked you what percentage of leading men are on human growth hormone, how would you answer? <laughs> what percentage of leading men are on growth hormone um i don't know god that i mean it sounds great uh human growth hormones yeah human growth specifically yeah you know could Um, be we we just did a spot where we sort of touch on this a little bit oh my gosh we did yes we did yeah yeah in this room that i'm sitting in actually um yeah um uh, what percentage of our human growth? I don't know. You have to really fucking love acting to inject a bunch of human growth hormone into your veins in order to make you a better actor. I don't know. It's a, right. You got to really want to die for your craft. So I couldn't tell it. you. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm> a, <laughs> as a writer, I find it helpful. Yeah, exactly. I only shoot it into my calves. This is a huge, <laughs> powerful uh, calves. Yeah. America's sexiest calves. Everyone remembers you for that cover. Calves magazine. Yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay, final three questions, and then I'll let you guys go. The first is, George first, then Ryan, what is the word or phrase of advertising jargon that makes your skin crawl the most? Um, I've already said ad agency, so um, I don't know. There's so many. Um, I actually will say like creative because I think um, I don't I don't think creative is a department, and it it um, almost it it almost sends people in the wrong direction. Like you have to do something with a lot of bells and whistles in order for something to be creative. Where whereas like a great idea can come from anywhere and it doesn't necessarily have to be the creative department. So I, I would say I, I don't love the term creative. I think there are probably better terms. Yeah, I I don't really consider myself an ad man. I, I so I you know again like you guys hear all the catchphrases. The one that does get me is penetrative. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, really, really, really catches in your throat there, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, not a good one. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm guessing there's a lot of similar skin crawl terminology in the movie and advertising business, and just the you know, let's take this offline and synergies. And uh, so you probably just haven't even noticed the transition. Okay. So question number two is, and you know, you mentioned this, you guys kind of have that, that crazy people approach to like, we can come up with the idea first and then Ryan can call a client and say, what do you think of this? So question number two is what is the most horrifying or fucked up response your work has ever elicited to a client or in a client meeting? And George, this doesn't have to be maximum effort. This can go back to your days at McCann. Uh, oh boy, yeah. I mean, I've gotten some responses. I mean, I've get, I've definitely gotten like, I hate that. Um, <laughs> but the 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 saddest actually happens once or twice at maximum effort, which is like no response at all. Like the opposite of love is not hate; it's indifference. Yeah, you know, and we've sent scripts at least to two people and just like never heard back after they pursued us. Like just never responded. <laughs> yeah, that one of them is a real. Still, is I mentioned, I touched on earlier, really keeps me up at night. It's just yeah. one of those ideas that you just go, oh, if it's executed the right way, is such a clean home run and so much fun for everyone involved, especially the people get to watch it. But uh, yeah, that that I, I'm with George on that one, where you just you just don't the apathy of that is is tough. You know, I'd much rather have someone say, I hate it than just not yeah. respond. Cause now you're now that, that, that fucking piece of paper is out there. Like that person has that thing of ours. Right. I want it back. You know, like it's yeah. Yeah. And you're used you come from a world where people, where you're thinking you're having a great meeting and people will be like, I have all these follow-up steps and then you may never hear from them again for the rest of your life. Um, yeah. I mean, that's at least the cliche of the, of the kind of like the, the, the Hollywood development process um, is like, man, I love, I'm just, Ryan, I'm loving what you're, what, everything you're throwing out. Like we're doing this. I'm going to call you at 7am tomorrow. Maybe you haven't experienced this. Maybe people actually do call you back when they say they will. Well, I know I've had the, the opposite, which is the, uh, that I don't want them to call back. I just want to <laughs> do it. Like, right. let's go, like, let's go do this. And th- th- the follow-up can sometimes be excruciating. Like let's talk mm-hmm. about what the palette is going to be. And you're just like, oh, I don't care what the palette is. Let's just do it. Come on. It's going to be great. We're running out of time. Someone else is going to think of this. I don't know. I mean, the, the final question is a, kind of a seamless follow-up to question number two. And this can be from any part of your journey or career. It's called the one that got away. What was that one idea that you could never sell, but it continues to live in your heart and haunt you. Again, it could be a maximum effort idea. It could be an idea for a movie. Just what's that idea that you can't stop thinking about, but it just kind of feels like it's never going to get made. Hmm. Well, I have, well, I have a couple, but uh, go ahead, George. I mean, I have literally dozens um, from my time at uh, McCann um, and um, my time at Fox. I'm trying to think of one that stands out um, it's a very difficult one. I don't have one that pops to mind. There are like 40 and I don't want a single one out in mm-hmm. particular. Um, usually they're not, they're more kind of, you know, jujitsu moves that, um, that are in response to something. A lot, a lot of times, you know, something will happen and, and I'll send a note to, to either, um, a filmmaker or celeb or, um, 
even a brand saying like, man, you could really tilt this your way if you just did this. Um, because I, I like doing that. I mean, the, the, the Monica thing is a good example, which is that that worked, right? But like we, there are ways to tilt the landscape in your favor when you feel like it's going against you um, all the time. And, and, and so those are the ones that I, that I regret because I feel like it could have done some good, not just like another, like idea they had a, like they had a redemptive quality to them yeah. like for someone or something. Yeah. I love that too. I love, I love redemption stories. I, I, you know, I have two, we have two this year that <laughs> really will kill me forever. Uh, well, one, one is a, it was an idea that we had uh, uh, two years ago, actually, that, um, you know, I don't need to get into the specifics, but it was just the most beautiful. It wasn't funny. It was actually just beautiful. And, um, and uh, pitched to a company, company just sort of said, that's not kind of what we're about right now. Um, and then someone else made it and it was stunning. <laughs> it was truly just stunning. And they did a great job with, with it. But I, weirdly enough, it was almost like identical. I mean, uh, just a slightly different venue, but it was, uh, that kills me. Uh, that keeps me awake at night. We had another one, uh, which was for a nonprofit that uh, somebody just executed faster. We were just trying to move this uh, 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 this uh, initiative at this nonprofit, um, which we really felt would have made a, a, a huge slash. And, and, you know, when you're working with a nonprofit, it's like, it's, at the end of the day, it's like, well, somebody had the idea so good. Like it did the right. thing it was intended to do. It just wasn't generated by us. But that was, that was a little bit frustrating. And then I have one movie oh. that, yeah, go, you go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, go ahead. No, it was the movie. Oh, uh, Please say no, Van no, Wilder too. Van Wilder too. Go ahead. No, but but um, I don't, what what were you? What movie do you think I'm thinking? For the listeners, he, he definitely <laughs> he definitely made a face, and he definitely yeah, there's something there, we'll, we'll something see. there, folks. What, George, what movie are you thinking? I I, I wasn't I, thinking. I oh, I mean, it. I think I know what movie you're thinking of, but I was I was going to go back to to something we pitched actually for the Super Bowl this year that we were in love with uh, that had Ryan playing uh, a, a known. Uh, oh so, god celebrity right yeah yeah but can't we can't back. we just say what it was or no or we'll, maybe we'll use it one day i don't know yeah that's what i mean i'm holding out hope that we're going to use it one day yeah. but it was uh ryan and it was exactly it, it was a great idea and it, I, we think it would have broken the internet oh it would have been amazing but it, yeah. it's exactly it, it's kind of a little lesson of rick moranis to us like no if we had late uh lined up rick moranis with mint mobile uh addressable universe there would have not been like a whole like the the targets don't match right yeah but what we're trying to do is like we're not trying to recruit a specific audience and so the the idea that we pitched where, where ryan would play a famous musician that musician was out of the the target audience for this particular brand and you know un, mint is crazy enough to say, yeah, let's do it. But this big, you know, Fortune 500 company was like, but this doesn't really match. Oh, we yeah. don't think this 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 person will be relevant to our audience. Twenty year olds don't care, and you're like, well, yeah, but they will. I think they will. It's just you gotta, right. you just gotta DM. Yeah. Well, what do you guys know? I mean, everything you've made has gone completely viral, but you guys were probably <laughs> off base on that one. <laughs> well, maybe maybe they were right. No, no, no. I, I mean, like, yeah. Yeah, they were fucking wrong. That would have been amazing. That <laughs> uh, would have been amazing. Yeah. Guys, I'll end it here. This all started with me harassing George to do the podcast. I'm an advertising nerd. George was a big enough get for me in isolation. It actually didn't, didn't even occur to me to have the audacity to ask Ryan to join as well. And then one day I was scheduling the episode with George and Ryan kind of materialized out of thin air as a participant. I don't know how. I don't know why. I waited till the end to bring this up in case Ryan kind of felt duped and decided to hang up. But now the damage is done. So thank you. <laughs> who would, who, when does that end well for anyone? I, I'm going to just close my laptop and like call Wait it a, a day. Second. Yeah, that doesn't end well for anyone. You Canadians, too polite for that. You'd be like, well, listen, you have five, five listeners? Well, well, now we're locked in. Two-hour episode. Here we go. Yeah, I'm in. I, mean, I had fun. This was great. I actually learned a lot because you guys – you know, you guys, you guys cut your teeth in a world that I don't, I don't actually know that much about. So I love getting to learn a little bit about from you guys. So. And we, we're going to compete against you with your shack agency. Totally. Very. Not on the court, but you know. No, no, because you would definitely beat us. The mutually beneficial feud. 
still mm-hmm. stands. You just we, let us we know. Love, we love a good feud. We do. Guys, we thank you for do. joining. I, I, I joined the chorus of ad nerds and audiences that can't wait to see what you guys do next. And uh, this interview and two people thing was super easy. So thanks. Right? Yeah. Not bad. Not a big deal. Half, half as many words. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank you guys. Thank you for I having us you on. Very much. Thank you. Loved it. Thanks, work. guys. All right. Talk see you. Well, all right. That was a fun one. Thank you so much to the great Ryan Reynolds, the great George Dewey. Thank you to the executive producer of this podcast, the great Jeff Fiorello and JSM Music. And if you're liking the pod, if you're just now discovering the pod, please subscribe, rate, review, share it with a friend or colleague. And until we talk again, peace.